0: This week on Myths and Legends, we're back in Greek mythology with the origin story of Dionysus, the last of the Olympians. We'll see Zeus blow a human woman's mind. Literally. And how if your enemies are intense enough that they clean themselves up by having snakes lick them, maybe take them seriously. The Creature This Week is why, if you hear a stranger licking your ceiling at night, you should not open your eyes. is Myths and Legends, episode 195, Stranger Danger. This is a podcast where I tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. Today's episode is set in Greek mythology, but it sits outside our main continuity. So if this is your first time hearing the podcast, no worries. We're in Greek myth, So, think Zeus, Hera, Apollo, Hades, and so on, and today's episode takes place in or around the ancient city of Thebes, after Cadmus founded it, but before Oedipus wrecks it. We'll start out with Zeus absolutely being Zeus, but this time, this time things are different. his way home. He was all smiles. He did that thing where you jump on a light pole and spin around it, but then he realized light poles wouldn't be invented for, what, 3,000 years? He quickly invented a light pole and then spun around. Zeus was smitten. He was in love. It started like so many love stories often did. He was a deathless god in the form of an eagle, and she was a priestess of his. Struggling to hold down a calf as she was killing it for him, I know, so common it might as well be a cliche. Similarly, Cadmus' daughter caught his attention the day she slaughtered a calf at his altar, the specks of blood catching her face and hair. He watched as she waded out into the river to wash the blood from her face and clothes. It was at that moment that he realized everything he was looking for in his years of mindless, pleasure-seeking carousing. It was right in front of him. She was right in front of him. He visited her that night, and it was beautiful. For the first time, he didn't have to surprise a woman as a shower of gold or a swan or turn her into a cow. He was honest with her. He was Zeus, the king of the gods, and he was in love with her. She took him into her room. And so, here he was, six months later. He was a one-woman man. I mean, other than his wife, Hera, but he assured Semele that it was over. It had been over for literal eons, which, while true, was also completely untrue, because they were still very much married. Still, this time, this time things were real. Zeus was going to leave Hera. Semele was pregnant. They were going to have a baby together. When he arrived at Semele's room that night, he kissed her, but she gently pushed him back. He was confused what was wrong. Simile asked, he said he would do anything for her, right? He nodded, but she couldn't see that because he was still completely veiled in shadows. So he said, yes, yes, of course. And he would swear to do anything she asked? He said he loved her. He would swear to do anything she asked. He would swear on the river Styx, the river that separated the human world from the underworld. He heard a sigh of relief in the dark. Simile said that sometimes men said that they were gods to get into the bedrooms of unsuspecting women. It would explain why there are so many random supposed demigods running around. Anyway, she wanted to see him in all of his glory. Simile wanted to see him as as his wife saw him. Only then would she believe him. Zeus face-palmed. Okay, okay. Here's the thing. There's a reason it was always night when Zeus came to visit, and it wasn't just... never mind, if he showed her his true form and all of his glory she couldn't handle it. Her head would literally explode. Simile pulled away. That's exactly what she had said. A chill ran down Zeus's spine. She? Simile said, "Yeah." A crone stopped by this morning. They talked all day. She confided in the woman about Zeus. When the woman asked about the pregnancy, she was the one who gave Semele the idea to ask to see Zeus's true form. A request that Zeus was suddenly getting all cagey about. Oh my gosh, it's because it will make your head explode. Seriously, I'm not making this up. Your tiny human brains can't take it. I should know. I made you guys, Zeus said. I thought Prometheus made us, Semele asked. Yeah, well, history is written by the winners and I have him chained to a rock, Zeus said before pulling something from his inventory. Uh, Did she want to see some cool stuff? He produced a cloud, a tiny storm cloud for the room. Huh? Huh? Looks pretty godlike, huh? Can't fake that. He saw a very unimpressed look from her face, and the lightning rumbles of the cloud. Oh, okay, okay, how about, boom, lightning bolt. The Cyclopes made these for me, and yes, that's the plural of Cyclops, even though it sounds weird. This is a small one. A regular-sized one would level this village. Here, check it out. He sent it flying toward a nearby cliff, which exploded in fire and crackled with electricity. A boulder shook loose and started rolling toward a nearby village. Zeus closed the curtains. They'll be fine. Good enough, though? Just to prove he was a god? That was good enough, right? But it wasn't. Semele said she asked something of him. He swore it on the river Styx, and that was the only way for them to be together. Either he showed his true form, or he could leave right now and never come back. Zeus had hoped this would be different, that Simile would be the one. She understood him. She loved him and he loved her. He had been honest with her from the start, but he understood her wanting all of him. Hera was right to be worried too. He had hoped to make her the queen of heaven. He nodded. Okay. He would do it. He would do it with the hope that their love would conquer all and see her safely through. He took a deep breath and shed his disguise. The room lit, illuminated by the glory of the king of the gods. Zeus looked into the eyes of the one he loved. And Simile looked back as he showed himself, his whole self. It was wonderful, beautiful, intimate a tear of joy went down Simile's cheek, and Zeus smiled in return. Yes. Then, the tear evaporated, as the lightning that radiated from Zeus caught Semele's head on fire, and it exploded, just like Zeus feared it would, and Hera, the crone who had visited her earlier, had planned it would. The lightning crackled all around Zeus, as not only could Semele not handle the power, but the room itself couldn't, It caught fire. Zeus sighed, and tears started to well up in his eyes. But then he remembered something. The baby. Inside Semele, a baby had been growing. She had only been pregnant for four months. Not nearly enough time. As the room and then the house started burning around them, Zeus snapped his fingers. He had an idea. What's wrong with your thigh? Hera asked. Is that a tumor? Zeus shifted so that his thigh, bulging but not in a good way, wasn't visible. It's not a tumor. It wasn't a tumor. It was Dionysus. A development that Hera wasn't the least bit surprised by when Zeus announced that the baby had been born. Out of his thigh. You see, when he rescued the baby, it wasn't quite formed enough so he stitched it into his thigh so it could finish growing. The kid was born with horns too, so in a way it was good that Simile didn't need to experience that particular birth. The seasons themselves crowned him with snakes, something every parent wants for their newborn, and Zeus smiled. This was a wonderful day. Then they heard a crash at the door. It, it was Titan's? Aphrodite screamed, Artemis ready to narrow. Ares grinned. Zeus cocked an eyebrow. Wait, Titans, you guys are supposed to be in Tartarus. It's true. After their defeat at the Titanomachy, the Titans should have been in that hot supermax prison known as Tartarus. A nine-day fall from Earth. This section of Hades held the worst of the worst, or the creatures, gods, and humans who had offended the Olympians the most. After the Olympians had overthrown their parents' generation, they put the rival gods in Tartarus, but someone, it seemed, had let them out. Zeus's confusion was overmatched by his rage when he took a mace to the face and went down. A battle ensued, not a big one, but the Titans had caught the Olympians off guard while they were putting snakes in the hair of an infant. So it took the Olympians a few minutes to take back control when Zeus had subdued the last of the titans, he saw the aim of their ill-fated coup. His son, Dionysus, the one that he was both father and, I guess, technically mother to, was dead, torn apart by the titans. The titans, it seemed, weren't snitches, and no level of threats or torture could get them to confirm Zeus's suspicion that it was Hera who let them out. Zeus gathered up what remained of his child and, with sorrow, said that he needed some time to bury what remained of his relationship with Simile, the only person he had ever loved. When Zeus knew he was alone, though, he smiled. They bought it, because the boy, Dionysus, was not only a demigod, but was born from Zeus himself, he was given certain powers, immortality being one of them. The baby had a rough day, being torn limb from limb and then reassembled will do that, but with the help of Zeus's mother, Rhea, he would live. He couldn't live on Olympus, though, not yet, not before he could stand against the rage of Hera. In fact, Hera followed Zeus that day and threatened two foster families, driving one mad and getting them to attack the child, and threatening to level the palace of another with a flood. Through Hermes in disguise, Zeus gave his son to the mountain nymphs, that he knew, but hadn't been, uh, well, Zeus with, and said goodbye to the boy. Dionysus, despite his traumatic infancy, had a happy childhood. He wasn't raised by the humans, but by the nymphs. And Zeus, surprisingly, was a semi-active father, at least by Zeus standards. Dionysus grew up knowing who and what he was. He also learned something else, and this was a big one. He learned how to make alcohol. Culturally, the discovery of wine was a big deal, not only for the ability to have a semi-safe liquid to drink. The people of the ancient world were big fans, because Dionysus got some groupies. They were called the Menads, literally meaning the Raging Ones. They were usually women, and they began as the nurses of Dionysus on the mountains. They would become intoxicated, and true to most people's experiences with someone like that, everything became amplified. When they were friendly, they got very friendly, with their feasts turning into another sort of group activity we won't go into here. And when they got mean, they were mean and they were an unstoppable, unrelenting force of angry drunk women who would tear whatever got in their way limb from limb. Like most of his inadvertent half-siblings, Dionysus had Hera problems. Like most times she tried to take revenge against Zeus by going after one of his kids, it backfired this time as well. If she couldn't kill this newly minted god, she could do the next best thing. She could find him, overpower him, and remove his memories of himself, driving him mad and sending him to a faraway land. So, she did. Dionysus wasn't yet strong enough to meet her challenge, and Hera found him, and she went deep, taking everything. With a word, Dionysus was gone, and for many years, no one heard the name Dionysus, and many believed that the last son of Zeus was gone for good. We'll see where Dionysus surfaces, but that will be right after this. Tiresias felt the door of Thebes. He sighed. Does this city ever not have a bad time? Well, here we go. We've already talked about Tiresias here and there, especially in the Oedipus episodes, but he's at the youngest we've seen him, so he's like 100 years old. As a quick backstory, he was roped into an argument between Hera and Zeus about who enjoyed it more when men and women were together. Tiresias, who had been both, he had already had a very long life up to this point, answered honestly, it was women who enjoyed things more. For that, Hera made him blind, as a consolation prize, Zeus gave him the ability to see the future and live seven times longer than a normal human. It wasn't meant to be a curse, but Zeus didn't specify that Tiresias would be forever young, so he was just a perpetual old man. And the future he saw, yikes. He was at the city of Thebes in this time, because he was supposed to be at the city of Thebes at this time, according to his own visions. He had long stopped fighting against fate. I mean, there was no such thing as fighting fate. There was just your fate, and every action you did or did not take brought you closer to it. Tiresias sighed. It was something the royal family of Thebes would learn, but not soon enough. In their future, he saw Oedipus and Jocasta. He saw Antigone and the seven against Thebes, But today he saw Dionysus. Who led him in here? King Pentheus demanded. Tiresias stood before him, wearing a fawn skin and a wreath, and holding a thyrsus, or phenyl wand. And why are you dressed like that? Are you one of them? Are you one of the cultists? Tiresias said, yes and no. He wasn't strictly a follower of the cult of Dionysus, but he liked the guy's parties. He was just here because he had to tell Pentheus to get on board with the cult, or at least get out of their way. Seriously, things would go bad for him if he didn't. Just then, Cadmus entered the throne room, Cadmus being the legendary founder of Thebes and King Pentheus' grandfather. Pentheus turned to Grandpa and then did a double take. Why are you dressed like that? Cadmus said, uh, the cult? Duh. His wife and daughter were already out there. Panthea said, yeah, that was the problem. His own mom was roving the woods drunk with mad women. Why wasn't anyone else freaking out about this? His grandpa ignored him, though, preferring to address Tiresias. Hey, prophet guy, you tried that new stuff? Uh, What was it? Winnie? Tiresias grinned. Wine, it was called wine. But, uh, yeah. It was amazing. It almost made all this, he said, his smile fading as he briefly recalled what would happen in the same throne room with Oedipus and Jocasta. It, it made all this almost tolerable. Are you going to the forest too to, you know, drink wine and see what happens? Cadmus grinned. Oh yeah, you need an arm or someone to guide you? Tiresias said he thought Cadmus would never ask, which was untrue because he was a prophet and he knew Cadmus was going to ask. All right, this is getting old. Let's get out of here. Pentheus shook his head. These old men should be ashamed of themselves, wanting to spend the twilight of their lives getting drunk and dancing in the forest. The cult leader, the one who calls himself the stranger, the one who came from the east proclaiming Dionysus, he was nothing but a charlatan, taking advantage of all these people. Dionysus was dead. He was incinerated with his liar mother. She lied about being with Zeus, and so Zeus himself struck her down and incinerated her home. Dionysus was never even born. This was just some con man taking advantage of his aunt's lies. Pentheus said when he caught the stranger, he was going to cut off his head. This new religion from the east, it's based on debauchery. It's not wholesome. Oh no, it is not, Tiresias said, holding up his hand for a high five. Cadmus found it. Tiresias wasn't down for Dionysus being slandered like this though. He stepped forward. Dionysus had given a beautiful, wonderful gift to humankind. When humans drink wine, they can sleep and forget the evils of the day. It stops their sorrow and pain for a few brief hours. And these are direct quotes from the play, by the way. Pentheus Grimace, that, see, that was not a healthy way to approach life. Tiresias ignored him. This fight wasn't against a cult or even a religion. It was against the gods. And Tiresias knew firsthand that it was a fight that Pentheus would lose. He turned to Cadmus. All right, let's go get drunk in the woods. Pentheus screamed out that he would come for them. He would send an army. And when he did, he would bring back the stranger, this prophet of Dionysus, and have him stoned in the square. Then his blood would flow like his wine. They would see. "'Hey, so we got him,' one of the soldiers said, wavering back and forth and struggling a bit to stand upright. The soldier was going to be real with the king. He didn't like taking this guy in, especially not after trying his spicy red water. Wow. Still, he did his job. Here was the man who called himself a stranger. Uh, now he should probably go sit down. Oh, and one more thing, uh, probably nothing— but the chains they tried to put on him, they wouldn't stay on him, and uh, the door to the jail wouldn't stay closed. Probably nothing, but it does kind of lend credence to a story that he's the sole prophet of an eastern god. All right. Also, once again, his spicy red water, which you should really try. Wow. All right. Sitting down. The stranger stood there, lithe and beautiful, his face flushed with his wine and his golden curls dangling down the king demanded an explanation before the stranger's execution. Who was he, and where did he come from? He said he came from Lydia, modern-day Turkey, on the other side of the Aegean Sea. Oh, was it called the Aegean Sea yet? No? No. Okay. On the other side of the sea, the stranger said, Dionysus, the god Zeus begat with simile, came to him. He was displeased that his native kingdom not only didn't follow him, but that it profaned the name of his own mother, calling her a liar. The king said that, well, that's because she was a liar. She had been with some random guy, not Zeus, come on. But the king said that this was all over now. He had the stranger. He would no longer corrupt and seduce the women of Thebes with his wine. The stranger shrugged. Whatever was not fated, he was not fated to suffer. Simple as that. But the king should know that when he wronged the stranger, it was like he was wronging Dionysus. Just be aware of that, and be ready. The stranger turned to the soldier, who was trying to put chains on him. Also, buddy, you should drink some water before you go to bed. I'm sorry, I have a splitting headache. I should have listened to that guy about the water, the guard said. But he, he got it together. Oh, uh, also... The stranger, he escaped. What? The king asked, spitting out the water. Lead with that next time. The guard winced at the yell. Yeah, he knew that the king didn't want this guy to be a prophet, but, well, he summoned an earthquake that only wrecked the jail around him and his followers, but didn't harm them, so... So, he was still tied up? King Pentheus said he tied the stranger up himself last night. Uh, yeah, turns out what you saw was you tying up a bull. I actually saw that at the time, but I didn't think it was real on account of all that magical spicy water I had. But yeah, he walked out. He's back in the woods with his cult. The bull, though, the bull's not doing well. Just then, a shape appeared at the door. It was the stranger, taunting the king. King Pentheus unsheathed the dagger. The guard said that he he didn't see what the king was chasing with the dagger. It it probably wasn't there. King? I ah, would figure it out. King Pentheus did figure it out. When he finally caught and stabbed a fern in his courtyard after like 20 minutes of running all over the place, the stranger wasn't there. He had never been there. Bathed in sweat, Pentheus looked up at the morning sky, and the faces of two shepherds filled his vision. When he caught his breath, he asked... This wasn't good news, was it? The men shook their heads. It really wasn't. They were out looking after their cows when they came across the Mee as they were called. The Ragers. It was like this big roving party. They hit the ground and wine sprung out like a fountain. Hit a rock and water came out of it. When they dig into the ground with their fingers, milk just jets out. It was wild. "...and it wasn't nearly as debauched as the king said it was. The weirdest thing was that some of the women were breastfeeding baby animals." Pentheus... ...blinked, but... What? The men nodded. yeah, they would take fawns or wild wolf cubs into their arms and breastfeed them. That's... That's what's happening right now in the woods. And Pentheus's mom, Agave, was actually doing it. Pentheus was speechless. So the men continued... Yeah, she was breastfeeding a deer, and we were like, Hey, aren't you the queen mother? You're the one everybody's looking for. So, we decided to do our civic duty, and bring her back to you, and yeah, it did not go well. Pentheus said that they were just a bunch of drunk women, and y- you look fine. How bad could it be? Well, apparently when the shepherds demanded that Agave, Pentheus' mother, come with them, the whole group was immediately alert. Agave looked to the rest and said, Oh, running hounds, we are being hunted by these men. Follow me. The men laughed until the women tore into the first cow. Pentheus stopped them. He said that the women didn't have weapons, only fennel rods. The shepherds said that they didn't say the women had weapons. They tore into the cows and bulls with their bare hands, tore them to pieces. It was intense, man. Pentheus breathed at least they were still out there in the countryside, but the shepherds smiled. Well, when their entire livelihood was massacred by drunk women, the shepherds took off in a run toward the nearest village to get the local garrison to bring them justice. The soldiers laughed, armed themselves, and rushed the women. And they ended up exactly the same way as the cows. But you're saying that they tore the soldiers apart? Pentheus screamed voice quavering, the shepherds said it got worse. They raided the village, taking any children they could find. The soldiers' spears bounced off the women, like the women were made of bronze, but their blunt fennel rods killed with one hit. The women were on fire, but they weren't hurt. The shepherds were still hiding when the carnage subsided, and they watched the wind return to the fountains of wine, water, and milk, washing themselves with the three liquids and then waiting for the snakes to come from the forest to lick them clean. Oh my gosh, I have no idea what's going on. This is horrifying, Pentheus screamed. Okay, it had changed. They were under attack now. He would mobilize warriors and send them against the women. They would be prepared this time. He began to yell out for his generals. The shepherds held up their hands. Wait, what's going on is that you should submit to this guy. Seriously, allow his worship in Thebes. It meant that Dionysus exists and that his mom wasn't a liar. Seriously, this guy clearly has power. They didn't want any part of an attack. The shepherds, washing their hands of this, left. He does have power. Pentheus heard when he was alone. He spun on his heels. He gasped. It was the stranger. You're back, Pentheus observed. What do you want? The stranger just shook his head. He just wanted Dionysus to be accepted and respected in his home. He never had a home, the stranger said, looking off wistfully. And now he hears of all these terrible things about his mother. He just wants the truth to come out. He wants Dionysus' rights to be observed in Thebes. It's still possible to make things go well. Pentheus was growing in rage. Go well for him? How? By being a slave to his slaves? By submitting to this group of... women? The stranger nodded. There it was. This wasn't about strange new ideas or propriety. It was about power. If Dionysus' power spreads, Pentheus would lose his own. That wasn't acceptable. The stranger pursed his lips. Well, if the king saw Dionysus' power for himself, would he consider it? Consider allowing worship in the city? Pentheus cocked an eyebrow this would be a chance. This would be a chance to see exactly what was going on, so his warriors could be well informed when they attacked. He sighed, putting on a ruse. He would like to see everything that was going on. He might skip over his mom breastfeeding a deer, but he was intrigued by not only what the women, but Tiresias and Cadmus saw in this new religion. He feared, though, of going in secret. What if they heard him? The stranger nodded. Well, true, but what if he didn't go in secret? What if he went openly? Ten minutes and sixteen lines later, Pentheus stood in address. Uh, he stopped the stranger. Do you feel like... Totally, we're getting our anachronistic wires crossed here. I mean, people are getting torn limb from limb, and I'm planning to massacre a bunch of unarmed drunk women on one hand. And on the other, people are getting snake baths, breastfeeding deer and wolves, and you're dressing me up as one of your female followers. The stranger shrugged. Eh, Dionysus is the god of wine. Things can turn on a dime. Uh, or, I mean, attract me. Now, hold still. I'm almost finished straightening your hair. The stranger looked at his work. I mean... Pentheus was still obviously an awkward middle-aged man in a dress, but the mean ads were very drunk. He was probably good. All right, ready to go, Pentheus? Pentheus? Pentheus stood frozen. It was a flash. A flash of something else. A flash from somewhere else. He, the stranger, the stranger had horns. He had horns and glowing eyes. Pentheus rubbed his own eyes. The world was normal again. The stranger handed him the fawn skin and the fennel stick, completing the uniform. We go now, the stranger said, looking out from the doorway. Pentheus, still struck, obeyed. They fled Thebes without anyone seeing the king, though divested of his royal accoutrements. No one would have recognized him anyway. They went down streets that were deserted, passed conveniently when backs were turned, and found some guards dozing on the outer gates. They were out of the city without anyone noticing. Pentheus, though amazed that they weren't spotted, was awestruck by what came next. There were two suns in the sky, two cities of Thebes. He looked up again, and again, the stranger was glowing. He had horns. The stranger turned with a smile and said, A god walks with us now. Though initially ill-disposed, he is aligned with our purpose. You will see what you should. Pentheus, though, he began to feel it. There was a power in this place, with this man. He he could lift a mountain. He could tear up the glens with his hands and hold the peaks on his shoulders. The stranger nodded. He could if he wished. See? See what drew people to Dionysus? King Pentheus said he could hear the women up ahead. They were almost there. He would hide up in the fir trees. Maybe he could catch them in the middle of something. But that would be abhorrent to you, right? The stranger asked, you know, based on all that talk of morals and values. That definitely wasn't just posturing to protect his power. But yeah, the tree right there would give him a great view of the rebels he so detested, This was where the stranger said goodbye. He had led Pentheus here, but another would lead him from the forest. He would be carried home by his own mother. Pentheus nodded, cool, great. He was mentally already halfway up the tree to watch the activities he was so morally panicked about. The king climbed the tree and started to soak in the sights when he saw the stranger walk to the center of the group of Minets. They stopped their activities much to Pentheus's chagrin, and they gathered around their leader. Then, a flash. In that instant, the stranger was no longer the stranger. He was a glowing, beautiful young man. Pentheus gasped. He, he was Dionysus, the lost son of Thebes. It was true. It was all true and after the horrible things Pentheus had said about Semele, Dionysus was saying something, something Pentheus couldn't quite hear. Then, a sea of eyes turned. Though he was hidden in the branches of the fir tree, the women seemed to be looking right at him, right into him. He shook his head. Impossible. His fears were confirmed. When the women began walking toward the tree. Pentheus clambered higher. He remembered the stories of the cows and soldiers. He climbed to the tip of the tree. Then, he heard Dionysus yell a halt. The women did. Pentheus breathed. Good, good. The god wasn't petty. Pentheus could be, would be, forgiven. Then, the tree started to bend. Pentheus held fast as inexplicably, the thick trunk of the fir tree bent like a reed. Soon, he was parallel to the ground, Pentheus' nails scraping themselves bloody on the tree, Pentheus trying to hold himself as the group of women below him looked crazed at their quarry trying not to slip from the tree. They parted as, tree still under his power, Dionysus walked to the center of them. Pentheus begged him, he pleaded, please, he would do anything, I know, Dionysus said with a smile. In an instant, Pentheus was comforted. It was going to be okay. Dionysus would forgive him. Then, the smile turned cruel. But this is for my mother, he said. And Pentheus slipped from the fir tree. Thebes is a mess Zeus said looking down from Olympus Apollo laughed yeah when in the next six generations won't Thebes be a mess you have today which yeesh and then Laius and Polycasta and all the Oedipus grossness check out episodes 65 and 147 AMB for those stories Apollo noted turning directly to the camera and then there was Antigone heck it doesn't even make it out of the BC's it gets raised by Alexander the Great in 335 BC, also covered in a member episode. Oh my gosh, spoilers! Zeus screamed, covering his ears. He was watching the course of history century to century. He didn't get to just read the Wikipedia entry like the God of Prophecy Apollo. Still, Zeus grimaced. He supposed he had to take the L on this one. Do not tell her he said so, but Hera might have been right. This kid was a loose cannon, I mean, he had a son torn to pieces by his own mother, King Pentheus tearing off his own disguises and begging his mom not to do it, all of his final breaths being shrieks of pain. Then, he had Agave carry Pentheus' head back to Thebes and it around like she killed a prowling lion, coming to this slow realization about what she was doing and then collapsing in horror when the effects of the wine and revelry wore off. Her father went out to comfort her and he and his wife were turned into serpents. Now, Dionysus is leading a foreign army into Greece to take it over. The end of the story is dark even by Greek myth standards. How many times have you accidentally eaten someone's family? Apollo asked his dad. Zeus thought about it, uh, let's see, twice? Oh, maybe four times? The fact that you don't know the answer to that question means that this whole mythology is just super dark. What's that? In the doorway, Hephaestus, the smith god, was dragging a chair. He asked where they wanted it. Zeus gestured to the eleven chairs, forming an almost circle, with the one spot left open. Ah, gee, I wonder. Hephaestus rolled his eyes and dragged the ornate chair. Will you pick it up and not scrape it across the floor? Zeus barked. Come on, this is marble. Don't help or anything, Hephaestus said limping and carrying a metal chair across the room? Oh, don't worry, I won't, Zeus said, and then answered Apollo's quizzical look. Yeah, he was making Dionysus into an Olympian. Apollo did a spit take with his nectar of ambrosia. What? He just got done saying that the god of wine was a loose cannon. Zeus gestured to the attacking barbarian army besieging Thebes. One dead king, and the other turned into a snake. Yeah, if he left Dionysus down on Earth, the place wouldn't last the week. Humans have enough on their hands. They didn't need wine turning them super strong and then prompting them to tear animals apart. Zeus needed some control over the situation. So, they were going to bring Dionysus into the fold. Then, Zeus looked out on Dionysus as Iris sped off with the message. Besides, it was the least he could do for Semele. The only woman he had ever loved. Who? Sorry, I was looking into the future. Something about frogs. Zeus shook his head and used his wrist to wipe his eyes. Nothing. Nothing. It was nothing. The second part of today's story was based on the play The Bacchae by Euripides from the 5th century BC in Athens. He was also the writer of Medea and others. People say that this is not only his best work, but the best of the Greek tragedies. Uh, maybe it's amazing when it's actually performed, because while I thought it was decent enough to be the story on the podcast and important enough to the Greek pantheon to be included, Best Greek Tragedy is a pretty competitive title. I do like the idea of this strange holy man actually be in the deity he is proselytizing for, in a bit of dramatic irony, the audience knows the whole time, because Dionysus tells them as much in the beginning, I personally wanted to make it so that the stranger was ignorant of his true nature until the end, but that seemed like it might be a step too far when staying true to the original. That's it for this week. If you'd like to support the show, we have a store at mythpodcast.com slash store, but For strangely way less than the price of a Guy Fieri mini cutout, you can get extra episodes and ad-free versions of the show that are not a two-foot-tall cardboard cutout of the mayor of Flavortown, who BuzzFeed is called the last unproblematic food person. Check out support.mythpodcast.com for more info on the membership. The creature this week is the Tenoname, from Japanese folklore. The name literally means, the ceiling liquor," and that's pretty much what it does. It's kind of helpful, but also very much not. It's helpful, because it can get those annoying cobwebs, and dusts and dirt, that might find their way, onto your ceilings, or rafters. Like the Akaname, the bathroom filth liquor from way back in episode, I can't remember now, it uses its long red tongue, to lick filth from your ceilings. It's, I say it's unhelpful, Because while it gets rid of hard-to-reach cobwebs and spiders, its tongue is, unsurprisingly, filthy. And it will just smear your ceilings with even harder-to-reach black marks. It hovers in the air, so you won't hear it come or go. And it works nights, so it's unlikely that you'll ever see it. It's said that it will leave the dreamer with a dark chill if you happen to be asleep. If you don't, and you hear a creature hovering above you, slurping and rubbing its tongue all over your ceiling... Don't investigate that. Have you learned nothing from every horror movie ever? Because if you happen to catch a glimpse of the monster, you will instantly die. In the 1700s, I guess they built Japanese houses tall, so it would be open to dissipate the heat. It was a double-edged sword, though, because while it would make the house cool in the summer, it would make the house cold in the winter. And this creature is apparently inspired by a line from a book of poetry that says, In the cold of winter, tall ceilings swallow the lantern light. So, according to one source, the ceilings became a domain, quote, of frost and shadows. As strange and unhelpful as it is to have someone licking your ceiling and then leaving black marks everywhere, just be glad it's not the Tenjo Sajari, the ceiling descender, who comes down from the ceiling and licks the sleepers. That's it for this week. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. Our theme song is by the band Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to even more music in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time.